This is the truth. The sacrificial works which were revealed to the rishis in the hymns of the Vedas have been described in many ways in the three Vedas. Practice them, that means sacrifices, being desires to attain their true results. This is your path leading to the fruits of your works. A man who performs sacrifices when these flames are shining and offers oblations at the right time is carried by those oblations on the rays of the sun to where dwells the soul sovereign of the gods. But those wise men of tranquil minds who live in the forest on arms, practicing penance appropriate to their stations of life and contemplating such deities as Brahma depart freed from impurities by the path of the sun to the place where that immortal person dwells whose nature is imperishable. To the pupil who has duly approached him, whose mind is completely serene and whose senses are controlled, the wise teacher should indeed rightly impart the knowledge of Brahman through which one knows the immutable and the true spirit. As from a blazing fire, 
sparks essentially akin to it fly forth by the thousand. So also, my good friend, do various beings come forth from the imperishable Brahman and unto him again they return. He is the self-luminous and formless spirit, uncreated and existing, both within and without. He is devoid of life breath, devoid of mind, pure and higher than the supreme imperishable. Well, in these verses, which I have just read, you have got hints of the three spans of the spiritual bridge. The first, the rituals connected with the sacrifices. In ancient time, in ancient India, the worship took the form of sacrifice, offering oblation into fire. That's the first bridge, rituals. The second span, as you might have noticed, is not mechanical ritual, but contemplative ritual. Worship associated with contemplation. This is the second span of the bridge. And the third span is the inquiry into the nature of the ultimate reality from a competent teacher. Now, these are the three bridges of spiritual life. And then when you pass the third bridge, this inquiry into the nature of the ultimate reality, when you pass the third bridge, after crossing the first bridge, ritual, the second bridge, contemplative ritual or contemplative worship, and the third, the investigation into nature of reality from a competent teacher. Then you go to the other shore, other shore of the ocean of the world. That means immortality or bliss or freedom. So these three spans I would try to discuss with you this morning. They are very practical, and this is the whole worship or spiritual discipline described in Hinduism. Now, the reality is often compared to a pyramid. There's a solid base, and the whole thing has a sort of tapering structure. Now, as you go up, the pyramid, the base is solid, becomes more and more rarefied, and there's the apex. Now, what is base, the solid base? That's the matter. And then comes the ideas, and at the apex, top, is the spirit, the great cause, and this spirit or the great cause pervades the whole structure. So, the base of this reality, you see if it's like a pyramid, the base is the physical universe. Then, 
in the middle, there are various planes of subtle matter, or what you call the heavens, and at the apex, top, is the highest heaven called the Brahmaloka. But this is all within the creation. They all belong to the phenomenal universe. And beyond the Brahmaloka, the highest heaven, is the transcendental spirit or undifferentiated consciousness. Now, a spiritual seeker starts from the solid earth and then he passes through various heavens, higher planes of existence, and then he reaches the Brahmaloka, the highest heaven, and finally he attains to the incorporeal spirit. Now we have to remember, these are the stages, the ultimate goal is that undifferentiated consciousness devoid of names and forms and attributes, and it is pure spirit, non-dual, and it alone exists. So from the base to the apex, the top, topmost part of this pyramid, there is a bridge. That bridge covers the whole phenomenal world including, as I said, the highest heaven. And on this bridge, there are three spans. I suppose this title was suggested to me. Well, from the three arches or three spans, which we always see, which I've been seeing for the last 18 years at Thousand Island Park, what is called the International Bridge, uh, stretching from the mainland of America and then ultimately going to Canada. Now, Brahma, the pure spirit, it is detached from the relative world, but it is the divine ground without which this phenomenal world cannot simply exist. This phenomenal world, the world of time, space, and causality, may be impermanent, may be illusion, but an illusion cannot exist without some kind of substratum of reality. As you cannot see a mirage without the substratum of desert. So, ultimate reality is the divine ground. But after realizing the pure spirit, after attaining to oneness with the pure spirit, one can again use the three spans to come down to the earth to fulfill a divine mission. Now these three spans describe various spiritual disciplines related to each span. Now these spans, as I just mentioned, are called the karma, ritual, then upasana, that means contemplative worship or contemplative ritual or the ritual associated with contemplation and meditation. And the third span is the investigation into the nature of pure spirit. At that time, 
when you begin to investigate into nature of the pure spirit, being somehow dissatisfied with ritual or ritualistic meditation, you leave them behind. Then you go to a teacher. You listen to him or hear from him the nature of ultimate reality. You reflect on it, then you meditate on it, ultimate reality. And finally you experience in the depth of meditation the, your, the true nature of yourself, the true nature of Brahman and their identity. Now Vedas describe these three spans. It is a gradual transition. Whole spiritual life is a process of gradual transition. One cannot jump from the earth-bound existence. One cannot jump from the world in which one is involved to the pure spirit. If one tries to jump from the earthbound existence into pure spirit, one meets with disaster. So, the Hindu philosopher said, it may require many lives to go over the spans in order to realize the transcendental spirit. Therefore, the Hindus accept the doctrine of reincarnation that in each birth you make some spiritual progress and finally you realize the goal of evolution, the oneness with pure spirit. Holy Mother used to say when someone expressed this kind of eagerness to realize God right away, she would say, why in a hurry? Why in a hurry? In this life you have made so much progress, next life a little more progress, and next life still more progress, and thus everything will happen in course of time. Why in a hurry? Now, this is a very practical advice, but the journey over the three spans can be shortened by intense effort and God's grace. Now let us discuss briefly the first span. It is called the karma or rituals. You see in a temple, you see in a church. Or it also includes philanthropic activities like giving in charity, building a road, or planting an orchard for the benefit of others, so on and so forth. This karma or ritual is performed by earth-bound soul entangled in the world, but they have desire to lead a spiritual life, but they are entangled in the world. So, they start with rituals in a sort of mechanical fashion, as you see in a church, or as you see in a Hindu temple, or in a mosque. You see people follow certain physical movements. 
standing up, kneeling down, or touching the earth with your forehead, or you prostrate. These things are often done in a mechanical fashion. For instance, when we are going through all this process of physical gymnastics, your mind may be elsewhere. Perhaps, to the corner of your eyes, you are looking at the congregation and watching their hats or the color of their dress, so on and so forth. But though it is mechanical, still there is an association with God. Therefore, it gives a push to our spiritual effort. But if one dies, only perform the rituals, according to the Hindu scriptures, one is born again as a human being. One does not go down to subhuman level. Then we come to the second span, which is the most important, a very important span, which is called, as I said, Upasana, or the rituals associated with contemplation or meditation. Now, it is a very important span connecting our earthly life with the higher lives in different heavens. And the highest heaven is called the Brahma Loka. That is the highest heaven visualized by the Christians or the Hindus or the Muslims, so on and so forth. Now, what I'm going to say about this second span, it is entirely based upon the scriptures. We do not have any way of seeing these heavens with our physical eyes or through any kind of technological device. This contemplative ritual, it forms the major part of the Upanishad because every spiritual seeker, he wants to enjoy happiness. After his life on earth is over, happiness, long life, so on and so forth, uh, well, in heaven. This is the aspiration of all spiritual seekers to enjoy a long life, often it is called immortality in heaven, and enjoying many subtle pleasures. When one is disillusioned of all celestial and heavenly enjoyments, then he becomes interested in such knowledge, which confers upon one indescribable bliss. Various forms of contemplative worship are described in the Upanishads. Now, we are all very busy people of the world. And suddenly, we cannot sit for meditation and control our mind and make it quiet. Now, if you follow these symbols, gradually the mind is withdrawn from the you know, the activities of the world, and then you can meditate. Therefore, this symbolic worship is very important. For instance, the altar on which you place the deity is the lotus in your heart. You visualize the heart in the lotus and the lotus, and that is the altar. And the clothing 
I'm describing a Hindu worship. After bathing the deity, we wrap deity with clothes. And ether is the clothes. And what is the flower? Main flower is the heart. And the incense is your life breath. Just you have to visualize that way. Imagine that way. Then your mind will be gradually withdrawn from the outside world into the object of your worship. You just can't sit and then start meditation. You can't do it. And then light, the principle of fire, the bell, principle sound, principle of air is the fan. And there are various kinds of flowers we offer, not just one kind. And those flowers are, you offer absence of deceit, you offer it to the Lord. Or absence of ego, or absence of haughtiness, or absence of jealousy. I mean, this you have to imagine as so many flowers you offer at the deity. The best known flowers, best known flowers are the non-violence, sense control, compassion, forgiveness, so on and so forth. Thus you worship the deity. This is called mental worship. Now, it is more effective than the physical worship. That means the whole worship is raised from the physical level to the psychological level. And you can meditate after offering all these things, you can meditate on your chosen ideal. The mind gradually becomes one-pointed. And gradually, you can direct your mind from the chosen ideal to the pure spirit. And what happens, what the result of this worship? That you commune with your chosen ideal, Christ or Buddha or Krishna. Then we come to the third span. Well, as a result of rituals, as a result of symbolic worship, your mind can grasp subtle and subtler ideas and thus it gradually becomes free from desires. Then one realizes that if it's one seeking to realize the eternal, permanent, one cannot achieve that eternal through non-eternal means. What I mean is Take the case of sacrifice, or the worship in the church, or worship in the temple. Now, you go to heaven, you think that is eternal. It is not eternal. Because the means by which you attain to these higher planes, the means are non-eternal. The priest is non-eternal. The utensils and accessories are non-eternal. So through non-eternal, you can never attain the eternal. But you have now a burning desire to commune with the eternal. Then you go to a qualified teacher. A teacher who is well versed in the scriptures, who is devoted to Brahman, who is sinless, 
who is unsmitten by desires and who is the ocean of mercy without any particular reason and who is a friend of those who submit themselves to him. Then the teacher, out of his infinite compassion, teaches the pupil the secret of freedom which attains to self-knowledge. Also that is taught in different ways, but I shall give a very graphic description of meditation which the teacher teaches the student. This meditation is through Aum, you know the sacred word Aum. The target, just you think that you have a bow in your hand and an arrow in your hand and you are aiming at a target. Target is the supreme soul, pure spirit. And the teachings of the Upanishad are compared to bow. And then this individual soul, not the supreme soul, which is your target, the individual soul is the arrow, the very beautiful symbol, very beautiful description. Individual soul is the arrow, and the target is the supreme soul, and the bow on which you fix the arrow, that is the teachings of the Upanishad. Then, like a marksman, you draw the arrow towards you, this before the hunter, he shoots his arrow, he draws the string towards him to give the arrow that speed, the velocity. That means you make your mind introspective and indrawn and then you let the arrow go. That means your individual soul go, let it go towards Brahman or the Supreme Self. But at that time, your mind must be completely undistracted. It must aim only at the target. It is said in Mahabharata, Arjun was asked to pierce a target which was up on a tall tree. And the target was the small eye of a bird. The bird was seated on a very tall, small bird, and Arjuna was asked by his teacher just to aim at that eye. So Arjuna, he was preparing himself, and then teacher said, what do you see? Do you see the tree? He said, no, sir. Do you see the branch on which the bird is seated? No, sir. Do you see the bird? No, sir. What do you see? I just see the eye of the bird, nothing, just the eye of bird. This is called undistracted mind. And which is now, you shoot the arrow. And the bird, eye was pierced. So, so we must have, our mind must be absolutely undistracted by any ideas, gross or subtle. Absolutely undistracted. Don't you see? Then you let your individual soul go and it pierces the target, supreme soul, 
what happens? As the arrow enters into the target, disappears there, becomes one with the target. In the same way, the individual soul, reaching the supreme soul, it becomes one with it. You see? Now, you attain what you call enlightenment. What happens to the liberated soul? Suppose we have attained to liberation. What happens to him? Well, in an ordinary man, as I've often explained, he can keep his body. The impact is so great. His body withers away and doesn't make any difference. Because he has obtained the goal of evolution, whether the body remains or not, doesn't make any difference. But there are some special messengers of God, like prophets in incarnation. After attaining to enlightenment, freedom, they again come back to help the humanity. That happened with Buddha, or that happened with Christ. Christ was told at the time of baptism, you are the beloved son in whom I am pleased. And he knew who he was, his nature, everything he knew, he was divine. Then he was tempted by Satan and he remained absolutely unshaken. Ah, then he came down to the ordinary plane and then he taught people. You see, when these people attain to realization, you notice, they go through all the three spans. Christ worshipped in the synagogue like an ordinary Jewish man and he meditated in solitude for 18 years. Then he was taught by John the Baptist and then he had that liberation. So you see the three spans, every spiritual seeker follows many different names you give them. So Sri Ramakrishna also attained to this highest nirvana or highest enlightenment. He has the complete identity of himself with Brahman. Then he was asked not to merge himself in Brahman, but to remain on the borderline between the absolute and the relative. The ideal is the complete merging into the absolute. And as I said, people don't come back. But these special persons, they had a mission to humanity, they had to serve humanity. He was asked to remain at this borderline between the absolute and the relative. So looking up, he could see the absolute, and looking down, he could see the relative world. So thus he could fulfill his mission. I think a very beautiful description also you find in Plato. Plato's cave. And inside the cave, a man is seated on the floor. But his hands and his head, his feet, are all strongly tied by means of chains. And his back is towards the little opening to the outside world. But he cannot move his head. His face is so, you see, a change that he's constantly looking at the wall in front of him. And then a light is burning behind him. And then beyond the entrance of the cave, there's the highway through which all men, animals are constantly walking. But this man, because he's compelled to see only ahead of him, 
So what does he see? He is seeing all the time the shadows of those men, animals, or vehicles going along the highway, but he cannot turn his head because he's tied. His hands are tied, his feet are tied. He can turn his head and he cannot see the actual objects. He's looking at the shadow all his life, shadows. And by looking at the shadows all the time and not seeing the real thing, so he takes the shadows to be real. That's the only real thing he's taking, looking at. These are the real things. Then Plato said, he cannot get out of the cave. He's absolutely chained. Then Plato said there's some compassionate, enlightened person. See the plight of the prisoner. Then he comes back to the cave. He had been a prisoner before. And somehow he became free. So being moved by compassion at the sad plight of these prisoners, he comes back into the cave inside and then he removes the chain, slowly removes the chain and asks the prisoner to walk out. All prisoner of course surprised to the sunlight. He's dazzled. He had never seen sunlight. Then he comes to the highway. At first he couldn't believe those real things. Well anyhow gradually he knows that he was living in a different world. So there is a thing called return to the cave. So these enlightened people who have obtained freedom, they come back. They assume hunger and thirst, human suffering, sickness, for the sake of us, the stricken humanity. And as they go up through the three spans, also they come down through the three spans. You see when Ramakrishna, even after the attainment of liberation, he worshipped in the temple, he recited the hymns of the Divine Mother, so on and so forth, not for his sake, but to show us how this should be done. Now, the concept of the three spans is reflected in many things in Hindu culture. Take the case of the four stages of life. You are a student, you acquire knowledge, then you become a householder, Marry, have children, then you retire a contemplative life. And from the contemplative life, you become a oral renouncer when you commune with Brahma. But you can't do it all at once without going to the other stages. Or take the case of four values of life. Righteousness, money, sense pleasure, and the moksha liberation freedom. Now you just can't, from the very start, you can't think of liberation without having some experience of the world, of money or sense pleasure, so on and so forth. So you see, a person involved in the worldly life with many desires, some conscious, some unconscious, he seeks an easy escape. So he wants to skip over all those other stages. When a man is confronted with obstacles, spiritual obstacles, which require 
great, stern, moral and physical disciplines, which they are not willing to go through. They seek an easy escape. So they say, well, this is all Maya. This is all Maya. Is it as simple as that? It is not as simple as that. Or suppose one is harassed by many forms of inner anguish, not able to control the mental vagaries. Such a person also seeks a shortcut. And he says, well, I'm not involved in these things. Let me be witness consciousness. Not as simple as that. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, a man was pricked by a thorn and the blood was gushing and he was suffering. He said, oh no, no, I have no pain, I have no pain, there is no blood, there is no blood, I am all right, I am all right. Don't you know? But it is not as simple as that. Blood is coming, he sees the blood, he is feeling the pain. He said, oh no, I am not feeling pain, I am all right, I am all right. The only way to ignore the pain or forget the pain is, first of all, you have to acquire the knowledge. And in that fire of knowledge, you have to burn the thorn, you have to burn the thorn. And in that fire of knowledge, you have to burn your body. Then you see that there is no thorn, there is no body, ah, then alone can you say. There is no pain, there is no blood, I am no suffering at all. Well, so I said, mind plays infinite tricks, infinite deceptions. Well, to get a feeling of exaltation, inner freedom, which one can get through the practice of stern disciplines. If you find one genuinely interested, the third spread of the bridge, that real enquiry, genuine enquiry about the true nature of the spirit or interest about self-knowledge, then you must conclude that person must have crossed the other two spans in his previous life. One cannot get a sudden push into the transcendental and pure spirit. Now I have concluded with a little prayer. Om Asato Ma Sadgamaya Tamaso Ma Jyotire Gamaya Mritto Ma Yamritangamaya Abhiravir Moedhi Rudra Jatte Dakshinamukham Tenama Pahinittam Tenama Pahinittam Om Shanti 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 Lead us from unreal to real From darkness to light From death, disease and suffering to immortality Manifest thyself in us through and through and protect us always with thy compassionate face. Peace, peace, peace be unto us. 
unto all living beings.